0: The views expressed herein reflect the views of the Whistler Agency as of the date of publication. These views may change as conditions change. The views expressed herein are not intended and should not be construed as investment advice, and they do not address any individual's specific situation. Welcome to Whistler While You Retire with Tim Whistler from the Whistler Agency. Here you will learn how Tim helps clients avoid taking unnecessary risks in retirement. With a fiduciary responsibility, Tim's mission is to help retirees and soon-to-be retirees create a greater sense of confidence about their retirement plan. Now, on to the show.
1: One of my favorite game shows growing up was The Family Feud. Back in those days, Richard Dawson was the host, and we had so much fun watching the show trying to guess along with the contestants. You know, if I were to apply the Family Feud process of polling 100 retirees, this is the question that I would ask them. What is the one thing you wish you could change regarding your finances? And from the thousands of conversations that I've had in my career, I have to believe the number one answer to that question would be, I wish I would have saved more. Why does that answer come into people's minds? Does it stem from fear, not knowing how much they're gonna need for, for, for retirement? Does it stem from guilt, maybe knowing they spent way too much during the working years? Joining me today as my guest is a professional who has been providing money solutions to people for nearly 25 years. She holds two distinguished professional designations as a certified public accountant and a certified financial planner. Her career path started as being an accountant, which turned into a financial planner, and recently has evolved into being a financial coach. She now runs her own company and focuses on helping people have a better relationship with their money. It is an honor and a privilege to introduce to you, Maggie Clockingay. Maggie, thanks for being here today.
2: Thanks, Tim, for having me.
1: You're very welcome. You know, you and I were introduced by a mutual client slash friend about four or five years ago. And I have enjoyed every single conversation we've had over the years. And what you're doing now in your career with running your own business, hanging your own shingle, you know, is not only impressive, but you're providing an incredible service to, you know, helping folks better understand the subject of money. Um, so let's kick things off by you talking about your passion and kind of what you're doing as far as helping people today.
2: Yeah. So thank you so much, Tim. I as well have always enjoyed the conversations that we have had and continue to have. So, like you said, I've been in the financial services industry for about 25 years. And I've in the past I've helped individuals and couples first with their taxes as a certified public account and then in comprehensive financial planning as a certified financial planner. And even though I was helping people in the last few years, there had been something tugging at me, just tugging on my heartstrings. And I really wanted to help people more at a baseline with their cash flow. So before they came to me with money to invest, And so as I was feeling this tug, the government had another shutdown. And Tim, I know you and I, we have been through many government shutdowns. This one was the longest in history. It was 35 days. And I remember reading an article about furloughed government workers who cannot afford the gas to drive to work. And reading about that circumstance, it really shocked me. These people have been living paycheck to paycheck. And the shutdown meant that their paycheck had stopped. But the thing is living paycheck to paycheck, as you and I both know, that does not necessarily mean that you're poor. So there was just a study done just a few weeks ago by payments.com and lending club. And in this study, it said that 54% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. And for those people who are earning more than $100,000, 39% of that group said that they're living paycheck to paycheck. And so what I just, again, I just wanted to do something. And so I was starting to research online. I ended up doing Financial Peace University, teaching that with my husband at our church. And what was interesting to me, and again, what got me more interested in the whys is that the people who were attending Financial Peace University, our class. This was not their first time. This was their second or third time attending. And I thought, why was that? You know, what wasn't sticking? What wasn't resonating with them? And so I continued to delve more into the psychology of money and really researching why is it that people do the things that they do. And so it's made it so understandable to me in this research that I started to share it. With other couples, and the response was overwhelmingly positive. And so, from that, that's when I decided to open my own firm, make a money mind shift.
1: Awesome, and you know, it's it's so incredibly, I don't know, sad. I guess whenever we know we see those statistics, we see those numbers. You know, I I just think in terms right now of two different clients that come to mind. In fact, I literally just came uh, back to the office here after doing a, a quick review with one of my clients who are in their mid eighties. Sweet people have been working with them for about five or six years. They kind of started their plan. I think, I think the earliest policy they have on the account that I provide, you know, the spreadsheet that I provided them is like sometime back in 08. So they've been doing this for a while, but I pointed out to them on the spreadsheet, not only just the current numbers, but I said, I called them by name. I said, look at what you started with back in 08 and look where you're at today. Now we're talking well into the six figures and it was a $1,000 difference between what they started and where they're at today. And then I think of another family member, I think of another client, a little bit younger, but they have been living off of six figures for for years, just now stepping into retirement and they have a third of the annual salary in savings. And it's just wow. unbelievable to me to to understand, you know, to try to try, I mean just that try to have people you know, I try to help people understand the relationship with money. So, you know, you and I have talked previously about what you learned, you know, during this research on psychology money. What's, what's one thing, what are a couple of things do you think is really important for our audience to hear?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So one important lesson uh, that I was really surprised to see is that we are naturally spenders versus savers. So this is going to be a little bit of a history lesson for you. Okay. Okay. Um, So our brains are focused on short-term survival in a dangerous world. So in early civilization, that's how far back we're going to go on this one. All right. So in early civilization, humans would forage, scavenge, hunt, and gather their food. And then they would eat it that same day. Mm -hmm. And why would they eat it that same day? Well, they needed to survive. Right. Right. But at, you know, in those times, there was no deep freezer. Right, um, you know, there there is, you know, fast forward to our society today, we have deep freezers, we have savings accounts. We are now told, you know, we're going to work for a few decades and then we're going to retire from that work life. But for those early humans, if they decided to retire from that work life, that typically meant death. Yep. So, little bit different so consume quickly is where we naturally spend first and then the second natural spend is sharing our resources so not every person in that group or tribe was out hunting typically it was the men who were out hunting and then the women were closer to their shelter foraging their food and then they would all get back together and they would share their resources. Again, they were doing this to survive. What this is telling us is our brains are wired to naturally consume and share our resources quickly. You know, If we want to have money for ourselves now and live off that money when we retire, we need to save money in our own accounts where we're not sharing, right? And not just for the next day or for the next year, but for decades. So when we are doing what we are supposed to, and i say supposed to in air quotes you know we're supposed to save for the short term and save for the long term we're actually overriding our natural impulses we're naturally overriding that yolo the you only live once
1: mm-hmm. you know and, and you think too how you said it's it's naturally built into our mindset then also think about all the marketing that's done that's you know, right. Even, even all the way to, you know, something as simple as, you know, you deserve a break today. And, uh, you know, everything is being marketed to you on a monthly payment plan. You know, right. that you know years and years ago, I don't even know, it's, it'd be interesting to pull some of our younger listeners. Do they even know what the word layaway man, means? You know, I remember when, when we were growing up, yes. if you wanted to go buy something large, you put it on layaway. And you made payments directly to that merchandiser. I remember, I remember doing that years and years ago when mm-hmm. I wanted to buy something, you know, I remember when my parents celebrated their 25th wedding anniversary years ago, you know, I wanted to get them a, a, a VCR, you know, cam, a camcorder. Well, you know, of course it was like the size of a football. The thing was huge, right. you know, and you put it on your shoulder like a cameraman going That's out right. to the weather report. But I remember putting that on layaway and, and making payments on that. But so you said, you know, we are natural spenders, you know, what, What can we do about that? How how do we kind of change that mindset from what really really naturally comes to us as spending everything as opposed to saving?
2: Yeah, that's a great question, Tim. So basically, first of all, it's just being aware of it. And then second, giving ourselves some grace. You know, as you and I both know, money continues to be a taboo topic in our Mm -hmm. society. And people just carry the shame with them because, you know, they think that they should know what they don't know. Right. And it seems that you know if you turn on the internet, that's not going to be your friend because you're going to see how people are getting themselves out of debt or how they are making so much money off this side hustle. But right. people aren't talking about how they feel. You know, they're not talking about how they feel overwhelmed or how they feel dumb or just plain clueless because again, they don't know what they don't know. And then, to make it matters worse, then when people do find out some things about money, then they want to do it all at once because they have the knowledge now and now they're overwhelmed all over again.
1: Right. Exactly right. And, you know, you bring up an interesting point. It's one of the things that I've noticed. I know you have too, and all the different, the the thousands of interviews you've conducted as well. You know, it's interesting whenever we start going through that fact-finding conversation at the very beginning, and we're simply just gathering details from them, think back to how many of the prospects that you've interacted with, just like I have that start off by saying, you know, I know it's not much, but, or we probably don't have as much as your other clients have, but I always found that very interesting that almost, they're almost kind of like making an excuse for the amount of yes. money they have. Mm-hmm. And I always kind of wanting you know, of course I would immediately address that. Say, no, 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 this is your money. We're going to make sure that this is leveraged the right way for your retirement, blah, blah, blah. But it's always, every time I would leave an appointment, it always kind of amazed me how Folks would do that to somebody they're just now meeting for the first time. They're almost like apologizing to me for the amount of money they have. And it, what do you think that kind of stems from? I mean, is that kind of the, our natural mindset that we kind of almost feel guilty for that? Or it kind of go back to, you know, we don't know what we don't know? I mean, what do you think about that, Maggie?
2: I think that I absolutely agree with you from the many conversations I've also had, there is this apology happening mm-hmm. where, you know, I'm coming to, you and I'm sorry, I, I either don't have the money or I'm coming to, you and I have this debt. And they look at me almost to gauge and see what my body language is going to be. Right. And, and, you know, I just very calmly tell them, okay, thank, you know, thank you for sharing this, because I think some of it is just giving that information and sharing that information and they're being vulnerable with you, right? And I think sometimes that's just one of the hardest pieces in talking with a financial advisor. And once that very well is a reason why, sometimes as a financial advisor, as you know, and as I've known in the past, that you'll have somebody who comes to you and they are talking with you and you provide a plan and then you never see them again. They have. They've dotted that I, they've crossed that T, they've gotten to you, but that's all they can do for right now. It's just too much.
1: Exactly. You know, and one of the things that we had talked about before too, that I found was very interesting. You talked about fight or flight in response to money. Yes.
2: Yeah. So the fight or flight response. So that's where we have that physical reaction Mm -hmm. to what we think is a threat. So have you heard how it actually happens?
1: I, I have not.
2: Okay. So this is going to be a little bit of a science lesson now. Cool. So our brain is made up of three parts, and it's sometimes referred to as the triune brain. So you may hear the parts of your brain referred to as the scientist and the animal brain. And the animal brain consists of the monkey and crocodile or reptilian brain. So the scientist brain, this is the rationalizing part of our brain. This involves the neocortex which is the largest part of our brain, and it's also the most recently developed. Unfortunately, the scientist is the one who you don't hear from when you're stressed. Who you hear from is your animal brain, and that's either your crocodile or your monkey. So the crocodile or reptilian brain, this is made up of your brain, stem and cerebellum. So it controls your reflexes, your balance, your breathing, and your heartbeat. And this is the most primitive part of your brain. So it collects sensory information and it focuses on potential threats. So let me use an example. So I am a walker and let's say I'm walking early in the morning and I hear a a noise coming from behind me. So I may whip my head around and then, you know, I'm thinking, taking in that sensory information and then just noticing it's just a jogger. It's okay. (laughs) Or. I might freeze my body thinking that whatever the noise is, it'll pass me by and maybe not see me, right? (laughs) Right? So during that moment, my heart may quicken, my breathing may become shallow. So the crocodile brain is focusing on survival. It's focusing on what is happening right now, not what is happening in the future. Okay. Okay. So now let's go to the monkey brain, monkey or limbic brain. So this is the emotional center of your brain. It is made up of the hippocampus, the hypothalamus, and the amygdala. The hippocampus helps you remember long-term memories. The hypothalamus releases your different hormones and the amygdala creates and stores the memories that are critical to emotional experience. Remember I said the crocodile brain, it collects that sensory information and focuses on potential threats. So while it's collecting the sensory information, it is not processing it. You know why you have an instinctive reaction to something that scares you? Mm -hmm. So let's, I'll give another example. My husband, God bless him, used to, I say used to, like to jump out from behind a door and scare me. And my reaction instinctively was to fall to the floor and cover my head wasn't yeah no not my best look not my best look so they asked him to stop that and he, and he has so that's, that's my crocodile brain right like it's just it's not a good look that's my crocodile brain it is it's thinking that there's a threat sure. it's something that scares me and i'm instantaneously reacting to stay safe mm-hmm. it's not until after the moment that the scientist parts of our brains are let back in and they process
1: what happened gotcha so history and science, it's amazing. I mean, how this all kind of can tie us into money, I'm guessing, right? That's kind of where we're going. That's with right. this. Perfect. Yes. yes. <laughs> so, would be.
2: yeah, exactly. So money's not going to come out jogging from behind you. Unfortunately. <laughs> Wouldn't that be amazing that we could say, can I grab you please? Right. Come <laughs> along. <laughs> it's not also going to come out jumping from behind a door, right? also would be nice, you know, a little money grab, but you know, how do you feel when you see that you have $2 left in your bank account? Or how do you feel when you read the news that the stock market just plummeted? Mm -hmm. So even anticipating talking about money can increase our stress levels. So when I've gotten on calls with my clients, sometimes I'll see hunched up shoulders, as I'm sure you've seen this as well, you know, you're seeing some hunched up shoulders. I might see where my clients don't even want to make eye contact and we're separated by a screen. And so we're in different parts of the country and yet they don't want to make eye contact.
1: Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Absolutely. Amazing. You know, it's, it's, we talked about, you know, money not coming up behind us to jump around the corner. I remember years and years ago when, when our youngest, our, our we've got two boys and our youngest, would always ask whenever we'd leave church on Sunday afternoon, Dad, are we going out to eat? And I'd always say, Yeah, buddy, are you buying? And he was like, you know, seven or eight years of age or something like that. And well, no, Dad, I don't have a job. I said, okay. Well, when you get home, go out to the backyard and pluck a 50 off the tree. Come on, Dad, we don't have a tree. I said, Exactly right, buddy. I said, Money doesn't grow in trees and we're not able to go out, you know, every time you want. But you know, it's it's one of the things that I think we, you know, you think about We live in, we tend to go on autopilot, I think sometimes. And this is kind of what you and I have talked about before, Mm -hmm. talking about we as humans don't like to embrace change. Right. Um, We like to live by the rule that if it's not broke, don't fix it. So what are some of the things today, though, that I think some people are living under that maybe they learned a few years ago? That's almost a detriment to where they are today when it comes to relating to money.
2: Yeah. No, that's such a, this is, this is where I geek out about this stuff, as you know, Perfect. Tim. So yes, I love, I love to talk about behavioral finance side of money. And this is absolutely where there is something. So as I was doing my research on the psychology of money and why people are living paycheck to paycheck, So I was reading the teachings of Dr. Brad Klontz. He is a financial psychologist and a certified financial planner. And he and his father, Ted Klontz, they, in their research, coined the term money scripts. So money scripts are thoughts or beliefs that we have about money. And many of them are subconscious because they were created long ago in our childhood. So you might hear the term money stories, or you might hear the term money blocks. These all come back to money scripts. The reason why I really love the, I mean, just the concept, it really makes sense to me, but just the term. So when you call it a money script, so typically a script is in a play or a movie, it is written for a specific character's role. And an actor learns that script by repeating it over and over again. And by repeating it over and over again, going back to the science, our brains create neural pathways. And the more that we repeat the same behavior, the more entrenched that neural pathway becomes. Essentially, as you said just before, going on autopilot. Okay. So, The problem with money scripts is that those scripts may not be serving us as adults anymore. So as a child, you were told certain things about money like you just referred to money doesn't grow on trees, which is a very common money script, but we were told things as children by our loved ones, and they were doing the best that they could at the time. And they may have given us something that was serving the situation for a money script. But now that we're adults, those money scripts may not be serving us anymore, but yet we don't even know that they exist. They're just repeated in our brains subconsciously again and again and again.
1: Absolutely. You know, and it's interesting that we, we, you know, if we think about this, think about when our parents and our grandparents, what they were going through, like you said, they're doing the best they can, but their time of life is a lot different than our time of life. Economically, right. kids- jobs, it, it, the lifestyle just seems, it seems to change from one generation to the next. And I think sometimes to your point, the detriment that I think people have in their mindset when it comes to money is that, well, this is all I've known. I think to a, a quick story, and I'll, I'll keep this very short. I heard this story not too long ago of uh, a family of ladies, the, the daughter, the mom and the grandmother. And they were talking about how years and years ago, whenever grandma would make her famous ham for Christmas, she would always cut off each end of the ham before putting in the oven. So now the daughter's all grown up. She's having the family over down to her house. You know, she's serving the meal for her mom and dad, for her grandparents. And she's, you know, grandma's in the kitchen and she's like, okay, grandma, I'm doing it just like you are. She goes, by the way, why am I slicing off the end of each ham? And, or the, uh, the end of of my ham and she, and the grandma says to the daughter, well, I don't know why you're doing it, but when I did it, my, my pain was too short. (laughs) So when I heard that story years ago, it was funny, but at the same time, you know, here's a person who's simply just replicating what grandma taught her mom, what her mom taught her for all these years, how much, how much ham were they cutting off the end of that thing just because grandma did it? Well, grandma's pain was too short, (laughs) so she had to do it, but you know, to your point. So what are maybe some examples of some money
0: scripts?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So that is a great story. And it, it really rings true because it could be something as simple like that. Like a pan is nothing to do with, you know, anything else that you wanted to save those were leftovers or, or whatever it was. So that's a great story. So a couple examples of money scripts. So we already talked about, you know, money doesn't grow on trees. I'm afraid I will never have enough money. Um, another common one we hear is money is the root of all you people only want you for your money. Um, Another one is you can't trust anyone with your money. And so therefore that person may spend all of it. Another one that I've seen a lot of, and I'm sure you've been seeing this and reading about this. I deserve to spend money on myself. And as we're coming out of the pandemic, Tim, there is a lot of post pandemic spending going on, which rightfully so there's nothing wrong with some spending, but you could quickly go down a rabbit hole where you just keep to spend and spend and spend and you don't stop.
1: Exactly. I mean, and the credit card companies love that, obviously. I mean, how many billions are spent in interest every year? You know, what can we do Maggie to change a money script that doesn't serve us anymore?
2: So, I think, you know, what I like to think about it is our brains like to be efficient. So, they're going to continue to think those same thoughts, right? So, I what I like to call it is a rescripting. And when you're rescripting, you want to make that money script. Typically, a lot of money scripts, they maybe have a negative connotation. So, maybe you want to do a 180 and change it. So, let me use the example of I'm afraid I will never have enough money. Mm-hmm. And we're going to change it to I will always have enough money. The thing with you know you can't just go cold turkey and just switch something you know like say you're going on a diet you're going to you know you're going to take one food out of your out of your repertoire of food no no pun intended with the cold turkey reference but <laughs> let's say that you're going to you know you need to have incremental steps and so I, I borrow a concept from Brooke Castillo. She calls it a thought ladder. So you have this money script in your head of, I'm I'm afraid I will never have enough money. And you want to get to, I will always have enough money. So you want to think the simplest thoughts, again, because your brain is programmed to be efficient. So maybe you have your first thought ladder is, I have money. Mm-hmm. Very simple. Very yeah. true. I, mm-hmm. I think that's probably a fact for almost everybody that- they have money. The second thought ladder could be, I have some money. Again, very true. This could vary. Some is still that, you know, that's a subjective term. Some can mean a little bit of some, it could be a lot of some. So you want to have these incremental thoughts that are then going to get you to then a money script that serves you, which is, I will always have enough money.
1: Gotcha. So say that you have some of your you know, money scripts identified. Or say like a prospect has their money scripts identified. They now understand, okay, this is me. So, what's next for them when you coach them?
2: Yes. Yeah, so, no, that's a great question. So, one of the things that I do, Dr. Brett Klontz has an assessment that he has on money scripts, and what I do is I will send it out to client right before we have our first session, they can see the results, but then I will actually coach them on the results as well in our first session, because from just the identifiers of what some of their money scripts may be, then I can help guide them towards doing some of those rescripting so that they can say, okay, maybe I, I have this tendency of thinking, now I maybe need to change it to have more of this thought and said that will
1: better serve. You know, we've all heard, I think, the, the common analogy about changing a habit. It takes like, what, 21 days or something like that. So, so <laughs> when, when a client has their script identified... And you're now kind of guiding them along to get them where they should be, you know, kind of that mindset from maybe scarcity to abundance or something like that. How, how does that process work? I mean, like, what's the usually expected timeframe that a client would, would um, you know, experience to get them from where they're at to where they should be?
2: You know, Tim, that's a really good question. And in personal finances, with everything, I'm going to say it depends. Sure. And I, it's really based on just in my experience. You know, we've read that a habit can take 21 days, it can take mm-hmm. 44 days, it can take 62, and really from from my experience in working with my clients, it really depends on how diligent they are about keeping that money script top of mind. So I'll ask them to write down their money scripts. I'll ask them to keep them in front of them, just on a post-it note where they can see them. And then to again have those thought ladders as they're moving through that rescripting. So it really depends on how diligent they are on getting that and at every session, we'll revisit those money scripts and I'll ask them, how are they doing? How's the thought process? And I can tell you bar none that just the having that initial awareness it spawns all these other thoughts that they start to have because they never realized that in their subconscious, these thoughts were happening. And then because they're having all these thoughts, I encourage them to absolutely talk about it with their partner because their partner is another individual who's having all kinds of other money scripts. And that's where we have sometimes that disconnect, that tension between the couple because they don't wanna talk about money.
1: Exactly right. Well, Maggie, the time has flown right by. This has been so good. Is there anything else you would love to share before we wrap up our session together?
2: Oh my gosh. You know, there's, there's all kinds of things, but one thing I will bring up is that it's a concept of herd mentality and it's where that we are in herd mentality or a financial comfort zone. Mm -hmm. We have heard about lottery winners who, unfortunately they win the lottery and then you read about them a little while later and they may be even filing for bankruptcy yeah. and you wonder how did that happen they had so much money and there's this this Instance of a financial comfort zone. Again, this is referring to um, some of Dr. Brad Klotz's findings. And basically, think of it as your financial neighborhood where you feel the most comfortable. You've lived there the longest. It's where, you know, the coffee shop is, your local coffee shop. They know your order by heart. And it's basically where you are feeling the most comfortable with your money. The problem is that we want to feel socially connected. And because we want to be in our stay in our financial neighborhood or a financial comfort zone, when something happens, when our income can increase or decrease significantly, and if it happens in a short amount of time, we can self-sabotage in order to get back to that financial comfort zone. Because we want to be with that herd, with our group going way, but even back to early civilization, we want to belong, We want to feel socially connected. And so just to be aware of that, that that could be something, you know, when I first moved into my neighborhood, I never realized all the moms that were wearing these tennis skirts, but they weren't playing tennis. And I thought, Oh, I think, I, I think I want to get a tennis skirt. I don't play tennis, Tim. And I have no idea why that even came up. And sure. it was because I was seeing my neighborhood, my literal neighborhood, Where these moms had these skirts on, and I thought, well, I subconsciously thought, well, I just want to be like my group. Sure. And so, just again, having that awareness is just, I think, so key in helping us in how we're going to make our spending and saving choices. It really comes down to our family unit and what is, you know, what we most value for our own unit.
1: Absolutely, Maggie, and you said it perfect when you talk about awareness. I just think that's what is so. Critically important for people to have awareness about where they're at, where they maybe they should be, and to seek out a professional that can help them get there. How would clients get a hold of you, Maggie?
2: Yeah. So they can go to my website at makeamoneymindshift.com um, and they can schedule a free 20 minute connect with me call. You can also find me on Facebook, Instagram,
1: LinkedIn, and YouTube. So that's makeamoneymindshift.com. That's right. Gotcha. Well, Maggie, thanks so much for carving out some time this afternoon to uh, join me on the on the podcast, and uh, thanks for sharing all this great information with me today.
2: Thank you, Tim. It was a pleasure.
1: So again, that's Maggie Clocking Clock Gay from makeamoneymindshift.com. dot com. Be sure to reach out to her, walk through that process, and uh, you will be amazed at how well the psychology of the relationship of your money will certainly improve your situation and possibly set you up for a fantastic retirement. So again, this is Tim Whistler from Whistler While You Retire podcast. Uh, Be sure to hit the subscribe button so that you can be notified of future episodes when they are released. Thanks so much for being here and we'll talk to you again soon.
0: Thank you for listening to Whistler While You Retire. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. Investment advisory and financial planning services offered through Simplicity Wealth, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Insurance, consulting, and education services offered through the Whistler Agency. The Whistler Agency is a separate and unaffiliated entity from Simplicity Wealth, LLC.